Hi there, welcome to Stoke to Be Here. My name's Laura and I'm the back half of Stella Tandem, a record-breaking attempt to cycle around the world in 2022. And as part of the lead up to our trip, I've been speaking to people from the worlds of cycling and endurance. And today I have a, an amazing guest. There's probably no person better to speak to about cycling around the world because this man has done it not once, but twice. Um, and is the, the holder of the, well, the solo bike record. So um, delighted to welcome Mark Beaumont. Hi, Mark. Oh, it's, good, it's good to be here. It's good, uh, to, uh, good to meet you off emails, Laura. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, thank you so much for your, your time, your help and your support so far. It's been, been absolutely amazing. And it's, it's just such a pleasure to, to have a chat with you. Um, so just as kind of a, a brief summary to start with, because I probably know far too much about you already, having obviously done a lot of research for our record, but your first circumnavigation of the world um, in 2008, you did in 194 days, which was basically a, a more unsupported attempt. And then, of course, your supported attempt, which is the amazing 78 days, 14 hours and 40 minutes, um, was in 2017, in case anybody's been living under a, a cycling endurance rock for, for who's listening to this. Um, but could you just kind of give us a, a, a kind of a brief summary of how you got into this and how, how the records came about? Sure. Uh, the, um, I mean, as you've said, Laura, I mean, I've cycled around the planet twice under Guinness World Record rules. And I'm sure you've mentioned on the podcast before what those are, but we can cover them for anyone that's new to the concept. Because there's a big difference between cycling around the world and a circumnavigation. And, you know, Ewan McGregor and Charlie Boorman, when they took their motorbikes around the world, that wasn't around the world, not circumnavigation. So there's very strict rules if you want to do it uh, by the book and by the record. But actually, my experience as an athlete couldn't have been more different, even though I was doing the same thing on paper. You know, it was still 18,000 miles. I was still hitting antipodal points. I was still going in the same direction, start finishing the same. The, the experience was very different because the first time I was entirely on my own. And I would say that the it was as much about what happened off the bike than what happened on the bike. You know, where's your next meal? Where are you going to sleep every night? And that wonderful sort of tapestry of cultures and peoples and places from riding your bike. The reason I started doing this when I was a kid, you know, the fact that the bike can take you places and you're completely connected with the world around you. Fast forwards uh, a bunch of years. And when I went around the world the second time, I um, was fully supported. You know, it was not about the people I did not meet. I, I was completely blinkers on racing. All the cards were on the table. I no longer needed to care about, you know, where my food was coming from or, or where I stopped. I just had one job, and that was to get a bike around the planet faster than anyone had done, done it before and actually create this sort of leap in performance. We went around the world um, 37% faster than anyone had ever done it before. We took the record from 123 days down to, to 78. I, I say we, I mean, it's a solo record, but I, I, I work in a team. Um, it would be completely insincere to say, even though it's the, the male circumnavigation world record, to say that I did that on my own. Because if you add it up, there was about 40 people on my team the second time. You know, okay, I'm one guy on a push bike, but 
you know, between performance, media and logistics, there's this incredible sort of traveling circus to, to make it possible. Um, so yeah, brief history of the concept of cycling around the planet. You know, I was inspired when I was a kid by Ellen MacArthur sailing around the world. And I always assumed that the cycling world record would be equally professional, equally coveted, equally, you know, it's the biggest out there, it's the world. And so when I was 22 years old and I first set my sights on cycling around the planet, I was amazed that at that time, it really didn't exist as a competitive record. And, um, you know, when I first cycled around the world, I picked a record up relatively easily. I mean, at the time, I thought, you know, this is cutting edge performance and I'm smashing out the park and this is the, the best I'll ever do sort of thing because it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. You know, in hindsight, it, you know, it, it looks quite pedestrian compared to what I've going on, gone on to do, but that's with 15 years of hindsight. Um, and I think I was lucky that I got into this game at a time when nobody else was really interested in cycling around the planet. I mean, there was lots of people cycling around the planet, but back then the record for the, the male circumnavigation was up at 276 days. And the last few people had come home within a couple of days of each other. So everyone was sort of in that range. And then when I brought it down to 194 days, I think that because I did it on the BBC, I created a you know documentary series and had quite a lot of profile around it. A, that launched my career. And B, I think it also was a catalyst for a lot of interest, you know, for other people to go for it. I, I don't take all the credit for that, far from it. But it's been very exciting in the last 15 years to see this whole generation of guys and girls, you know, going for the circumnavigation and to be a part of that generation who have not just sort of improved on the records, but taken them to a whole different ballpark. You know, we're no longer talking about, you know, records where you're averaging, you know, 60, 70 miles a day. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's much, it's much punchier than that now. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I mean, you're quite right. The, the difference between your two circumnavigations is, is, is very distinct. And if anything, we're probably closer to your, your first attempt being pretty much unsupported. But yeah, yeah. it's... Um, and it, and I, I mean, I think, are you, are you being quite open? I know what your target is, but are you telling people what your target is? Yeah, yeah, certainly. So yeah, we've kind of promoted we're going for 180 days, which doesn't quite have the, the same ring to it as, as the 80 days, but... Yeah, well, that's half a year. <laughs> half a year? No, no. Well, absolutely. I mean, eighty days is a bit of a one-time prize, isn't it? You know. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, the, whether it's Phileas Fogg or Michael Palin or Disney, eighty days is is a known entity. It's why I got quite excited about the eighty. So the one hundred and eighty. Um, um, don't know. It's more of a darts term than a cycling term, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yes. But uh, I still think it's. Um, you know, it's such a significant improvement on what anyone's ever done on a tandem before. And the fact that you're still going unsupported. So it is about the adventure of it as opposed to the sheer performance of it. Um, it'll still be, it'll, you know, it's just as difficult. It's just different. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I was going to ask you, because they, they obviously were such different attempts and it might be hard to pin down to kind of one specific thing, but what was the kind of biggest challenge in each attempt? Because I suspect it was quite dramatically different and 
kind of more uh, obviously your whole team was involved in the second attempt and they all had very different challenges but for you specifically what was what was the biggest challenge for you well my, my second time around the world the the 80 days i always say 80 days even though it was 78 because it was cold around the world in 80 days um i'm not sure that's that relevant for what you're trying to do yeah. um because it was you know i was riding 16 hours a day um i was on the bike from four in the morning till you know, 9.30 at night, I was five hours a night sleep. It was unbelievably hard in terms of just the mental and physical toil, just the, the sheer attrition of that race. It's absolute groundhog day when you're averaging 240 miles a day every single day for two and a half months. You know, when you're going nigh on a thousand miles every four days, you're crossing a time zone every, you know, twice a week. I mean, it really is like, you know, you see the world like a slideshow. It's, it's, it's insane to travel eastwards at that pace. Um, but so, so the easy answer for the second time around is just, it's just this, it's just the scale of suffering. You know, it, I, I knew even before I set out that it was not going to be the most fun bike ride I'd ever done. You know, it was... <laughs> It was all my cards on the table as a performance athlete, like what is possible, you know, and I've been criticized by some saying, oh, that's not in the spirit of, you know, around the world cycling and, and all the rest of it. But um, do you know what? I, I'm, I'm glad I've experienced both. I knew when I went into the around the world in 80 days that this was not about the adventure and the culture and the places. This was about the, the, the singular endeavor to get around the planet under your own steam faster than anyone's ever done it before. And that excited me like it would, like any child that's ever picked up the Guinness Book of Records, you know, how fast can you get around planet Earth? You know, to have one opportunity to go, what is my personal best? So I was always, all that criticism about, oh, but aren't you missing the whole point of riding through the Gobi Desert? And aren't you missing all the, I, I knew why I was doing that. And I knew the opportunity cost. I knew what I why you know and, and I made my choices and it, and it's a it's such a privilege to have the time the backing and the opportunity to just go what am I capable of and you know I I as hard as that was you know I um I never felt sorry for myself out there because I I always appreciated that you know I'd built up over 15 years the ability and the backing to be able to do something that hard um but let's not pretend like the first time around the world was a much better adventure in the true sense of the word. Yeah. And what was, what was hard about it? I was very naive the first time I cycled around the world. Wonderfully naive. I think you'll be, you're, you're clearly a lot more grown up than I was. I mean, I was, I was, I just left university. I was, I was a kid. And um, I think the best parts of, the first trip around the world. It was called The Man Who Cycled the World on the BBC and then the book that I wrote about it. Um, the Man Who Cycled the World. I was, I was, I was a boy, really. I was, I was a graduate who pedalled off from Paris, ended up in the most extraordinary places, miles out of my comfort zone. And there was a wonderful sort of wide-eyed naivety to that journey, an innocence, if you like. And I could do the same thing now, but just experience it very differently because of who I am with you know the best part of 20 years experience so 
I mean, it's the wonderful thing about the first time you go on a big adventure like that. You'll never replicate the emotions of the first time you do something. Because when you go back, you know more and you see things differently. So the hard stuff was also the interesting stuff. Just the coping with pedaling outside of Europe and the familiar for the first time. You know, for me, heading through the likes of Turkey, Iran, Pakistan, navigating, you know, food, um, language, um, you know, climates that I was so unfamiliar with uh, being miles outside of my comfort zone, but having to adapt and carry on and, and really sort of learning to that friendship of strangers. You know, the biggest thing that first time around the world is I left with a very sort of binary view on safe areas and dangerous areas. And, you know, and actually if you stop reading the newspapers and you get to sort of the, the sort of the, the grassroots level, People are people. People are kind. People are good. People are welcoming. Yeah, there are cultural differences, but you know, uh, you start when uh, on a bicycle, you you learn to meet people very differently. And so, the the hardest thing the first time round was me sort of learning to cope, learning to get by, and learning to interact with the world in a useful way, as opposed to just having this sort of very sort of British Western view on, you know on on the world um because when you're when you're riding a bike around the planet as i say it's it's not really about the physical task that's just the vehicle to get you around the planet it's it's more about how you interact with the people you meet and how you get by and how you make it sustainable so i'm not sure if that answers your question but the, the hardest thing the first time around was just was just growing up and and you know, sort of settling into that journey and breaking down the the scale of that task, 18,000 miles and half a year, which is basically what you've got, um, into something that I could, you know, manageably get through. Yeah, and I think it's, um, yeah, kind of what comes out of that for me is is that any attempt, I think, you know, be it the same person doing it twice or be it um, anybody's record is, is, is quite different. Everybody has to go about it in a, in a slightly different way, I'd say. Um, yeah. And yeah, obviously there's a bit of a, a time scale between your, your two attempts and yeah, kind of unfortunately the world's changed quite a lot since then as well with obviously COVID. But um, kind of aside from that, what's, what do you think has kind of changed for these sort of circumnavigation journeys between your two attempts and kind of the present day? Um, I mean, for example, we've been using quite a lot of like satellite mapping, looking at heat maps, kind of looking on the on online platforms for route planning. I mean, is, is that been a big development or have there been any other kind of big developments that that would kind of change how you do things now, maybe? Well, I mean, maybe in the planning, as you say, I mean, we've got far better satellite imagery and we've got far better data on, you know, the details of, you know, road quality, you know, even you know, weather mapping, that sort of stuff. But we utilized that pretty well on the second time around the world, the 80 days, because performance was so critical. The first time around the world was was a lot more rudimentary. It was, you know, riding roughly 100 miles a day. And I had a rough route. Um, but the biggest answer to your question is the geopolitical, like how the world has actually changed over the last 15 years. So when I first went around the world in 2007, you know, I cycled through Iran and I received one of the warmest welcomes on the entire trip. I entered feeling worried and, you know, slept in mosques most nights in towns and villages that I went through. I was under, 
uh, escort, police escort uh, through Balochistan around the border, the southern Pakistan stretch through to the, the Indus Valley. And um, I'm not sure I'd ride that road now. Um, you know, uh, the world has changed. And then the first time around the world, I also cycled through Ukraine. You know, yeah. I cycled into Lviv and parts that we hear on the news every day. Second time around the world, I cycled through Russia. You know, I cycled right straight through Moscow, across the Euro Mountains, the West Siberian Plateau, Lake Baikal, and down through Mongolia. So the world has changed, and not for the better, in terms of global security, border crossings. I mean, the advantage is you're seen very differently on a bicycle than you would if you're traveling by almost any other means. Um, you know, it's a great leveler, the bicycle. You know, you are naturally trusted by people. You're not seen as a threat. And as long as you're careful about when you take your camera out and, you know, you're respectful of people and you, um, you, um, you know, you, you, you care about local customs and culture, then, you know, I've, I've found it's, it's ironic, isn't it? The, the biggest issues I've had as a bike rider are in the U S not in Iran, for example, um, which is not what people expect. But if I was plotting an around the world route now, you know, it would be really sort of, it would be really thinking about some of those border crossings and some of the security issues differently. People keep asking me for advice and I keep saying to them, look, it's now five years since I last cycled around the world, 15 years since I first cycled around the world. And, you know, you can only make those decisions based on information now, not on, not on how it was. Yeah, definitely. And we're kind of really lucky in some ways that we'd never planned to go through the Ukraine or Russia because that would have been obviously just impossible now um and for example iran i would have been um, really keen to cycle through there because there's so many great reports i know emily chapel speaks very highly of it and a lot of other people do too but yeah it's just it's not possible for us to get visas at the moment so yeah it, so, so 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 just describe the route to me um so we're, we're starting in Berlin and then we're going south through Europe. So we're going through um, Chechnya, um, a bit of Austria, um, Slovakia, uh, Bulgaria, Romania, and then down through Turkey um, and then through Turkey up through Georgia and Azerbaijan. And we're having to risk the ferry across the Caspian Sea, which is a, oh, yeah. a bit of a... <laughs> is that a from Baku? Line uh yeah it's not quite in Baku anymore but yeah it's just south of there but um yeah and then that goes to Aktau in Kazakhstan and then we go through Kazakhstan so through the stands yeah it's Uzbekistan Kyrgyzstan um so and where, where do you where do you fly out of Asia um from Bishkek in Kyrgyzstan so and where, where do you fly then, to then we go to New Delhi in India through India to Kolkata um we decided not to well i don't think you can get to Myanmar still because there was a no, there. Yeah. yeah so we're having to skip over that to bangkok um down through southeast asia and then I'm, i must admit we, we've nabbed your routes through australia um new zealand no that's fine i mean the bangkok thing <laughs> the bangkok singapore stretch is 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 pretty straightforward yeah. and it's quite a revelation when you land there i mean it's interesting because you hear you know gap year students going to Bangkok for this sort of otherworldly uh, Thailand for this otherworldly experience and then having cycled through Asia 
whichever route you took, you arrive there and everything feels wonderfully familiar. So it's interesting that context. I thought I'd get to Thailand and it would feel otherworldly. And suddenly there was a 7-Eleven on every corner, amazing roads, you know, everything that you recognized. And I'm like, oh, I'm back in the back in the in the in the Western world. Clearly it's not. But um it's interesting that sense of context. So I also flew out of Calcutta the first time and thought I'd get to Bangkok and have be in this sort of absolute wilderness. And it was like, oh, very familiar, very easy, very straightforward. And apart from the the rains, the crikey, the monsoon rains and the the issues that gave me in terms of saddle sores, um, and I've actually cycled Bangkok, Singapore twice now. Um, it's uh, it's so much easier. And then you land in Perth, Australia, and you've just got after the busyness, you know, the frenetic busyness, and you know the claustrophobia almost of parts of uh, of of Asia. I mean, India is wonderful, but it's also it's all it's one of those Super places busy, that, yeah yeah it's what is it's amazing and lovely to go to at the speed of a bike but it's also amazing to leave um you know it's 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 just such an intense experience so then you get to australia and it's the opposite you know you cycle out of perth and you know you're just into this wilderness and then the nullabur and, and the rest of it so and then from there on in you're back to the english-speaking world yeah. but that that's interesting because there's really only three routes through asia yeah you know, the northern tier, the central tier and the southern tier. And I've done the north and the south. So the first time that Turkey, Turkey, Iran, Pakistan, India. And then the second time I took the northern tier through, you know, Ukraine, Russia, Mongolia and then China. And and that's interesting because you're doing the route that I've not done, which is through the middle. And then and then taking that flight. How much of a, a west east jump are you doing when you fly into New Delhi? It, um. it, I can't remember like the, the mileage technically it's not massive but not there massive. is there is a little bit in it so we have got yeah. a bit of a yeah yeah that's fair enough because one of my I mean it's not within the Guinness Book of Records rules but one of the issues over the years has been like you, you've got to do 18,000 miles you're not allowed to go back on yourself but people for a period were starting to take quite imaginative routes to find fast roads so you had people getting to North America and doing big north-south loops and, you know, doing as little as they possibly could through the Middle East, uh, Middle East and Asia because, you know, it's clearly slower. And, I, and I, I always felt quite strongly that, you know, you should be able to put, a, a, you know, a school map on the wall and it should look like a circumnavigation, respecting the fact that on a bicycle you have to fly, you have to get across the water. Um, it should still you know, look like a credible route. It, it, it should look as far as you can that you've made an effort to join your, join, your, join your route up. And so, you know, I like the fact that you've gone as far east as you can, you know, drop down through India, uh, drop down, you know, you're then sort of tailing off down through Southeast Asia and then across Australia, up New Zealand. What do you do in North America? Um, we're, doing, we're doing going through Canada and North America, so. Yeah, okay, yeah. so where do, you, where do you start out? Um, Vancouver to Halifax. Okay, so that's very similar. So I did Anchorage yeah. to Halifax. So you'll you'll end up doing that sort of North Saskatchewan, North Dakota, yeah. the Prairie section. Um, that's good. That's credible. I um I just had a challenge over the years with circumnavigation routes, which basically tried to maximise um you know roads in faster countries. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I, and I understand you want to you, you want to get around as fast as possible, but I think that Asia bit needs to be tackled credibly you know you can't just miss it because you think it's um it's uh it's going to be slow 
yeah and we're, we're very much keen to kind of in- include that for because as much as it's certainly not a holiday I think you know it's something about seeing the world at the speed of a bicycle as much as it still is that very much a, a record attempt it's yeah you know I quite agree we want to have done that circumnavigation rather than just spend all our time on the faster roads for sure yeah yeah that's great okay um and then um yeah obviously we're on a tandem bicycle which presents its own challenges and I'm aware that you've done a little bit of tandem bicycle riding in your time there's a a couple of documentaries on GCN I think that um kind of um, (laughs) document your your tandem riding exploits um having been on a tandem what kind of challenges do you think that we might have specifically um on that sort of a bicycle well you're in the back aren't you yeah on the stokey yeah i've never been on the back of a tandem um (laughs) so i know i mean hank who's the guy that i've done all my tandem riding with which is not a lot we tried to break the land's end john o'groats record on a tandem and we got 30 hours in we did 500 miles in 30 hours so we got it from land's end to the scottish borders and uh and couldn't carry on um i mean you know all the the basic issues around unless you really are practiced and in tune with your 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 pair then the ability to get out the saddle is much to spin at a reasonable cadence it's quite easy to end up pushing a a slower cadence a higher gear you know therefore if you are pushing it too hard you know you've got a higher risk of injury and the ability to you know especially because it is naturally slower going on the uphills as well um actually having the practice to um I always think in these big, big rides, if you're going to injure, you're probably going to injure in the first week, 10 days, you know, repetitive yeah. strain injuries, that sort of thing. So I think just being super careful, not pushing yourself too hard, settling into the ride, letting the body adapt, build the conditioning. Um, because on a tandem in particular, um, you know, it can get pretty uncomfortable unless you're really in tune with each other. Um, clearly, you're not trying to go nonstop for 840 miles the way we were. But, no, no. but, but still, it's sort of building that sort of, that sort of sync with your partner, which I'm sure you've already got far better than we ever did. Um, because you just don't have that flexibility, that fluidity you have on a solo bike to just lift out the saddle whenever you want, or, you know, throw the bike around or um, freewheel whenever you want to, you've got to do that in sync. Um, but I think if you, you know, if you build that connection and you're clearly a more competent tandem rider than I am, um, you know, it can be a very efficient machine. And, um, I think for, 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 for yourself, it'll be as much sort of the psychological side of it, you know, your view on the world being on the back of the, of the tandem, like, you know, being, you don't have the controls, you don't have the, you know, when you're on the front of the tandem, you feel very responsible. Uh, I, I did in particular, uh, you know, in terms of, I decide which potholes to avoid and I decide you know, what gear to be in and when to break. And I feel very responsible. Um, on the back, you know, you've got that equal task of, you know, making the bike go. Um, but you don't have that, um, all the other stuff to think about. And so, and you don't have the same view on the world as well. I'll be really interested to see what your setup is. So for you to, you know, physically sort of be in tune with your partner, 
to not pick up any silly injuries because you know you're 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 cycling at a, you know a cadence or a or a level which you're uncomfortable and um you know just to keep that sort of focus over half a year where you're on the back of the bike with a restricted view on the world you know you can look left and left and right but not forwards is um is i i think that's incredibly tough i think it's i think it's i think it's really hard what you're taking on yeah it's it is interesting and yeah other people have commented about that as well but it's it's a funny thing um you can ride the same ride on a solar bike or a tandem it looks completely different so yeah steve will have a very different view from for me but i at least get to look for the side <laughs> quite a bit more because i don't need to see where i'm going but um no. yeah it's kind of i've i've view my job on the back to do whatever I can to make the bike go faster essentially being it the fueling and I can do the the filming the media I can do the routing and it's it's doing whatever I can to take the the pressure off steel at the front essentially is how we we hope it will pan out um, yeah no you've got to, you've got to have a huge amount of trust it's an amazing it's an amazing task um but having your setup dialed you know having that sort of intuition about you know how each other are doing because you know when you're riding solo with people when you're up they might be down when you're you know the the, the psychological roller coaster on endurance bike riding is is never the same for yourself and those around you so being able to support each other whilst having a very different perspective on the ride is 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 going to be key yeah definitely and we've been in <laughs> plenty of, of kind of lows and, and troughs as it were on, on rides before yeah. but it's it's always tricky and it, sometimes it's as hard as ones when one's up and one's down as it is when when both are down but yeah. yes hopefully we've <laughs> we've got some of that sauce to kind of plow our way through as it were um and obviously one of the, the key things um which it was very much applicable to your 80 days ride but i think is is relevant to any sort of endurance ride is having your routines your procedures in place um and essentially uh, minimizing faff i, I think is <laughs> a good way to put it um and i've spoken to a couple of well most of the europe record riders um and they've kind of come up with some kind of good tips to to reduce faffing um like on the side of the road on brakes and things like that have you got any kind of top tips or pearls of wisdom that can kind of reduce things and, and kind of get you going faster again well i always set my schedules on time rather than distance yeah i think when you're tired and you're trying to do a set mileage per day or um if you smash it out of the park because you've got tailwinds or things go well, it can be quite easy be, to be complacent the next day. Mm -hmm. And if you don't hit your mileage because of whatever reason, you know, the topography or uh, your conditions, then it can be easy to be demotivated the next day. And, um, and you're just trying to every day pick yourself up and make a plan so you can get a certain distance down the road where the, you know, there's just so many things you don't control. So something I talked about with my uh, 80 days team quite a lot was if we faffed, to use that phrase, if we faffed for five minutes every time I got off the bike, that would add a day to the world record. So that's pretty powerful. So what I said to my team was, let's make sure I'm on the bike at four and not five past four. You know, that is so, so important to have that discipline that you start when you intend to start. And, you know, we we would ride by time so i would do 
a set time per day because I knew that was sustainable. Clearly, because you're not supported, you'll have to have some flex in that if you want to stay in a hostel rather than your tent or whatever else. But to have the discipline when the going's tough to stay on the bike, to do the necessary hours, knowing that your best possible average will only happen through, you know, putting the time in. Because if you leave it up to chance, and if you do a little bit more, a little bit less, depending on how you feel, you'll never hit your best possible, you know, record time. And the fast thing is just so, so important because the more tired you get, I think it, nobody's tough enough. If you, if, you, if you leave an escape hatch, if you leave it up to your choice, you'll, you'll, you'll jump through it. You'll, there'll be a point where you'll go, oh, I'll just have another half hour in bed or, oh, I'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll stop early. Or I think if you've just taken all those possible escape hatches off the table and you know that you're going to be on the bike at this time every day, you know you're going to ride X amount of hours per day, you just don't give yourself those choices. And the only way to not just break records but to create leaps in performance is to read it off your own script. You're not looking over your shoulder and worrying about what somebody else did at another time. You're, you're very much going, this is what I know is possible physically, ride time, recovery time, hydration and food. Those are four things that you affect. And if you can get your, you know, your ride time consistent, you know, you, clearly your effort within that ride time, it matters as well. Um, you're, you're, you know, you prioritize recovery in every sense of the word, then, then you'll, you know, some, some weeks you'll be, you know, you'll be going much farther than you expected and other weeks you'll be really struggling but but they'll be because of things that are completely outside of your control anyway and it's such a long race you know eighteen thousand miles is such a long race and you've just got to let those ebbs and flows happen and know that you're controlling the stuff that you can affect yeah sure thing and it's yeah it's it's very much a, a process of endurance so um, yeah yeah it's it's by far the, the biggest thing we've ever taken on and yeah getting this sort of input and advice from from people like yourself is, is obviously key and the the documentaries um you produce the books the talks everything um all helps kind of build up our our preparation as it were i wanted to ask as well kind of we'll hopefully you know be getting be writing blogs as that's almost part of the kind of guinness requirements um doing a bit of filming things like that along the road what do, what do you think has had the biggest effect um, or impact after the, your kind of around the world trip? Has it been like the, the filming? Has it been the books? Has it been going out and speaking? What's had the um, biggest kind of inspiration to people, as it were? Um, it's interesting because the, the television in terms of my first round the world was a BBC documentary and then the first six years of my career were making BBC docs I you know I, I then went um, 13,000 miles down the length of the Americas and then I went through the high Arctic and then I went around the entire Commonwealth so those were all BBC projects um, television is seen by far 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 more people than will ever read my books or come to my talks but the level of engagement that I get on a day-to-day -day basis with people who have read my books and been to my talks is far greater than those that watch me on YouTube or the, or the BBC. So I think because somebody who, um, you know, commits the time to reading a book or, you know, buys a ticket and comes to an event, you know, has that very personal connection and time commitment. You know, telly is a very passive thing. 
um, you know, there might be lots of people chatting about me that I never hear of, but actually I hear the feedback from the minority of people who do, you know, so for, you know, if I think hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people see telly, whereas only tens of thousands of people do the events of the books, it's, it's those people that I hear from. Um, but another way of answering the question is what's made the biggest difference in terms of my career? And um, if, if I think of the last 15 years in terms of around the world cyclists, what the, the, the second time I cycled around the world, um, I had to correct a lot of would-be sponsors and media who thought that I still had the record from the first time. Hey, so right. they didn't realize that lots of people had broken the record in the, in the interim. And um, what I think is interesting about that is I know, because I know all these people, I know that people have been annoyed that by breaking the record, it didn't give them the platform, the business, if that's what you're looking for, the opportunities off the back of that ride that they thought they would. You know, they looked at my first round the world and the, the profile that gave me and the opportunities to do things like making documentaries, books, talks, you know, and the platform to, to launch my career off it. And they thought, well, hang on, that's not fair. You know, how come Mark's got this, you know, but I don't, I've gone faster. I've broken the record. I've taken it to the next level, but actually what you have to appreciate is that that's a completely different skill set than riding a bike fast. So by breaking the world record, getting a Guinness world record, having the certificate that sits on the wall, you know, that will get you tomorrow's newspaper, which becomes yesterday's newspaper. And it gets you a moment in time and recognition within the ultra endurance cycling world. But to grow beyond that and to give yourself opportunities to, whether it's as an amateur or as a professional, to leverage that story. If you want to inspire people, if you want to, you know, share that to a wider audience, then that's something you need to be quite purposeful about from the start. You know, as difficult as it is to cycle around the world, it's also very difficult to build a platform to influence and to share that with a lot of people. And it's not the same skill set. So I think what some people have missed is that, you know, by breaking a world record, they, you know, this assumption that the rest just happens, like, right, you know, uh, you know, the, I, you know, it's not like people do it for fame and fortune, but, you know, they, they think that that will unlock just a, a, a level of recognition for, and it's, it's, it's a complete, it's hard. It's really, really hard getting TV commissions, you know, building a platform to be able to then, you know, share that story, you know, with schools or communities or businesses is, is hard. And you've got to work at that just the way you would work at, the logistics and the physical training to cycle around the world. And, you know, I can glibly say, I feel like I've been lucky in the last 20 years to have a career where I can take on, you know, these big dreams and to, to, to share them with global audiences, but it's been bloody hard work as well. And I think people often say to me, Oh, I'd love to do what you do. <laughs> and, and I often say to people, I, I think you like the idea of what I do because you get to see the TV programs um i enjoy what i do and that's not a poor me comment but people don't see you know the the schedule that i keep to be able to do these things and i mean again i'm you know you're doing an amazing job with this podcast series to bring people into your world and tell people what it's like to take on a project like this but you know with the best podcasting and storytelling in the world people still will only get a glimpse into you know the hours the uncertainties you know the 
the commitment it takes to do something like this. And, you know, that's, um, the more you can do that, the better you'll get at it and the more opportunities you'll get, you give yourself afterwards. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it's, <laughs> it's certainly enough of a, a challenge getting to the start line itself. So <laughs> yes, yeah. it's, um, all the, these bits and pieces are, are you know extremely useful along the way. I think if I can if I can just get to the start line, that's that's <laughs> the main goal to begin with. So we'll take yeah. it from there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and then yeah, just before we um, round things up, I've got a few kind of tandem trivia questions. Uh, my <laughs> first one is is normally have you ever ridden a tandem? But we we know the answer to that already. Um, and I normally follow it up with if you if you could ride a tandem with somebody um, like a dream tandem partner, they could be alive, dead, fictional, whatever. Who who would you put on a, a tandem with you? That's a good question. Um, I think uh, Jenny Graham would be a fun person to ride a tandem with. Um, she's the female around the world record holder. Yeah, she was on the the last episode actually. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, she's. <laughs> She's just, I mean, a, she's a phenomenally good bike rider, but she's just constantly cheery. You know, you want somebody on the back who's got a good sense of humor and cheer. So uh, I don't know you well enough, but I hope you can, uh, <laughs> you know, keep the, keep the mood in camp well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think if we've got, if we're going with a bike rider, I would choose, uh, I would choose Jenny. Yeah, she's, yeah, always, always got a, a kind of cheeky grin on her face, isn't she? So I think she yeah. would be an amazing tandem partner. And yeah, you kind of answered the next question already. I assume you would, you would still be captain on the front, would you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you can mix it up, but I'm six foot three and 90 kilos. So um, I, it might be a weird tandem if I sat on the back. Yeah, I don't um, think there's many of those dimensions out there, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, it's probably, yeah, my, my, control freakery as well probably wouldn't allow me to go on the back but uh maybe it'd be good for me maybe it'd be good for me if I sat on the back <laughs> it's an interesting experience as a previous solo rider my first time on a tandem was absolutely terrifying yeah, you have no control and you can't see where you're going <laughs> well I remember you know going for the Land's End John O'Groats record getting to the you know the A30 through um Cornwall and Devon and on those massive rollers hitting 93 kilometers an hour so what's that 60 50 55 56 miles an hour on the descents and you know i'm out on the time trial bars at the front and hank on the back has gone into like a ski jumper's position so to get more aero his arms are you know straight out behind him you know no 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 hands on the handlebars he doesn't need it just complete trust as we you know go 55 56 miles an hour and I'm not sure I could do that on the back. No, I think my admiration for Hank has just gone up massively. I think yeah. <laughs> I, th I think we've touched on 50 before and I'm usually almost in tears by that point. So <laughs> that's, yeah. that's But your perception of speed on the back must be very skewed. It must be very strange because you, I don't know, does it feel fast when you're going fast? Yeah, I'd say it does. Um, I, it's hard to say if it feels much different or not, but I think, because Steve is a more proficient descender than I am, but descending faster with him on the tandem helped me descend faster on a solo bike. I think I got more of a feel for how it felt yeah. to kind of going to go at those speeds. So, well, I mean, tandems are so stable. I mean, like you can take them to 50 mile per hour plus where, you know, where you'd start to get sort of speed wobbles on a road bike and they're, they're clearly quite long wheelbase and they're quite heavy. So they, they do descend well, but you know, it's just, you know, I'm sure you've got pretty big uh, disc hydraulic brakes on that thing. 
Yeah, we're trying to aim for not too many um, descents because they always come with ascents as well and tandems don't like going uphill. So we're, <laughs> we're trying to keep it no. as steady as possible. No, exactly. Um, and then me and Steve say we're kind of joined by the frame on the bike. Um, is there anything um, you're kind of joined by the frame for, for riding? Are there any um, like creature comforts, bits of kit? Is there any type of food um, that you have as a treat? Anything like that that you kind of particularly comes along with you and I know obviously <laughs> you're riding quite minimal a lot of the time but yeah I don't have many luxuries on me you know a good spot tracker or a, a GPS tracker so people can follow you and also so you can hit the mayday if anything does go horribly wrong that's quite good that's also important for your Guinness World Record verification yeah, sure. you know having having GPS data which is not um you know which goes through the satellites and you know is completely tamper proof is 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 key um i'll often if i'm doing very early rides or very late rides in the day you know when the roads are quieter i'll often put one earbud in you know on the on the quiet side of the road and um especially when i start to feel sorry for myself on the bike you know it's quite good to get you out your own head you know and i don't often listen to music but i'll listen to you know podcasts and and um you know you know typically non-fiction because there is something quite important when you're riding a bike you know it is all about you know what you're thinking and there are there is a point because you spend such a lot of time in your own head that you need to get out of your own head and think about something else so I wouldn't advocate it through you know busy descents or busy times but there is a time when you're doing you know massive circumnavigations when you're going through you know empty bits of countryside and deserts where you know putting you know, especially when you're doing what I do, which is, you know, four in the morning, 10 o'clock at night, you know, to, to put one ear by in and then just to, you know, have a different frame of mind. I, I think I probably listened to a couple of hundred desert island discs when I was <laughs> cycling around the world. And there's something about listening to other people's stories that put, gives a bit of context to your own. Um, caffeinated chewing gum. Yeah, we've tried that. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that's quite useful. You know, if you start to and, and like little things that you can do to wake yourself up on the bike when you start to feel sleepy. So don't always rely on caffeine. Yeah, uh, I, I often brush my teeth while I'm on the bike. Something about, you know, having that sort of hit of sort of, you know, mint and sort of fresh, or some freshness in the mouth that suddenly wakes you up, gives you a different mindset. Um, so, yeah, that's little things. Yeah, no, it's a bit, it's all the little things like that that make a difference. We've tried like airways chewing gum before, like the really menthol one, just to yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sharpen you off a bit. But yeah, yeah, there's lots of little tips and tricks, aren't there? Um, and then finally, um, can last but not least question, why should we ride around the world together on a tandem and break the world record? <laughs> well, I think anyone that's inspired to... Um, you know, get into the Guinness Book of Records, you know, I, I applaud that sort of almost childlike wonder of, you know, wanting to do something, you know, it's so simple. It's the world. How fast can you get around the world? And Guinness Book of Records, you know, it comes out every Christmas and it's ultimately for, you know, my daughters are eight and five and they absolutely love the Guinness Book of Records, but trying to do something faster than anyone's ever done that lived on planet Earth. Um, and at the same time to have that wonderful you know, view on the world, that wonderful experience where you, under the power of a bike, get to 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 see the planet. I mean, it's there's there's nothing else like it. You know, not even sailing around the world because then you know it's that interaction with the cultures and the places. So I think that sort of coming together of the physical pursuit, the want to do something 
um, you know, fast and figure out what you're capable of whilst having that unparalleled view on, you know, this ever-changing geography and and people is um, is unique. I mean, clearly I'm insanely biased. I've, you know, I've done it twice because it's just such an addictive thing to pedal around the planet. Um, but it's so simple, you know, beyond the complexity of how much you need to think about and know to get around the planet, it's just such a wonderfully simple concept. So, um, you know, I applaud anyone that takes that on. Well, that's that's amazing to hear. And I'm really, really grateful for, for your time, your advice and all the all the inspiration as well, because, yeah, um, without your rides, uh, I think the world would be a very different place. So thank you so much for coming on today. It's been an absolute pleasure, Mark. Well, I hope it's helped and I hope uh, anyone that listens to this enjoyed it. <laughs>